Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert is, in essence, a version of a concert I had the privilege of conducting last September with the Chicago Symphony. It was the opening of their season, and it was a set of concerts designed by Yo-Yo Ma, whose Silk Road project was uh, woven into the entire Chicago Symphony series. And this concert that Yo-Yo conceived was called Impossible Loves. At the centerpiece was this gorgeous concerto for violin, or actually Chinese violin and orchestra, which we'll discuss in a moment, which is the centerpiece of our concert. And to close the concert was Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique, which also closes our concert. To begin the concert was Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Overture, a work that we at the Albany Symphony have played recently. So in designing our own version of this Impossible Loves concert, I replaced it with a beautiful overture that I've always wanted to conduct but never had the privilege of doing, uh, Wagner's overture to his opera Tannhäuser, another Impossible Loves theme. Now, the theme of the opera, of course, is uh, the journey of this knight, Tannhäuser, who's been seduced by the goddess of love, Venus, and has been reclining in her kingdom for some time, enjoying sensuality in its most brazen forms, and he decides it's time to head back to Earth. And on Earth, of course, he's spurned, having been spending time in a, an unholy place. And he uh, decides to try to gain penance and makes a pilgrimage to Rome, falls in love with a young lady named Elizabeth who had loved him previously, and ultimately only through her love is he redeemed. And so the themes that Wagner so enjoyed playing with in this overture and throughout the opera Tonhäuser are those of sensuality and redemption. I must say that as always with Wagner, sensuality, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can hear, seems to win out easily. But what I find quite intriguing in this overture is that it begins with this magnificent, essentially pilgrim's chorus uh, in the brass, one of the most monumental and, and just gorgeous, noble phrases in all of music history. And then the middle section of the overture concerns itself with the realm of Venus and this world of unbridled sensuality. And then at the end of the overture, the pure pilgrim's music comes back. And what I find so curious about Faulkner is that to me, the pilgrim's music, in essence, sounds even more sensuous, or dare I say far more sensuous, than the so-called sensuous music. But you'll have to decide for yourself uh, how it goes. Here now to open our concert, one work exploring the themes of impossible love, Richard Wagner's overture to the opera Tannhäuser. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, and it's conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Richard Wagner's overture to the opera Tannhäuser, performed by the Albany Symphony and conducted by me, David Allen Miller. It opened this concert, uh, which is titled A Chinese Romeo and Juliet, but in its original form was called Impossible Loves. Next on the program is a work that I had not known before I was asked to conduct that concert in Chicago, but that absolutely stole my heart. It's a work that's 
very, very famous in China. In fact, it's the most famous work of Chinese classical music, and I should sort of qualify that by saying by Chinese classical music, I mean music that fuses the Western classical tradition with Chinese folk music. It seems there's a whole genre of music in China, particularly beginning in the 1950s, that really pays great homage to a Western classical style, and yet that infuses it with a very Chinese sensibility. Sort of Puccini goes to Shanghai, if you will. And the most successful and famous of all works in this sort of idiom is this work that we're about to hear called The Butterfly Lover's Concerto. It was written by a pair of young composition students at the Shanghai Conservatory in the late 1950s, one of whom was an expert on Western classical orchestration, the other of whom was an expert on Chinese folk music. And so the two sort of combined their strengths and created this gorgeous amalgam of very romantic Western-style music with a very, dare I say, Chinese sensibility. The work was initially conceived and composed for Western violin, and that was the form in which it was premiered. But it became such an overnight sensation in China that the two composers immediately made a version for Chinese violin, an instrument called the arhu, and one of the most famous and well-known instruments in all of Chinese music. The arhu, since you don't get to see it on our broadcast, and since it's such an absolutely astounding instrument, is a two-stringed instrument that sits on the player's left knee And uh, it's got a pole like a Western fingerboard and the two strings descending the pole, sort of similar to Western style. And at the bottom is a very little uh, cylindrical sound box, oh, about, I don't know, three inches wide and four inches deep. And covering it, looks like a little drum, is a boa constrictor, a snake skin cover that makes it like a little sounding box. And so the strings are adhered to the bottom of this box. And the instrument is played with a bow that looks like a somewhat longer version of a Western bow. The wood is actually bamboo, and the string, as on Western bows, is horsehair. But interestingly, the the bow hairs sit actually between the two strings. So the bow can't ever actually completely come off from the strings, and you the, the instrumentalist bows on the insides of the strings. It's kind of a curious uh, relative of our Western violin, and most probably our Western-style string instruments evolved out of the erhu, which is, as Betty Zhang, our soloist, described it at one of our pre-concert talks, is a very young Chinese instrument. It's only about a 1,000 years old. So this now that you're about to hear is the Butterfly Lover's Concerto performed by Betty Zhang, or Xiang Beijing, her Chinese name. Betty is a citizen, a resident of Chicago currently, but was born and raised in Shanghai and played in the Shanghai National Orchestra, which is an orchestra entirely made up of Chinese folk instruments, but that play like a big Western-style orchestra. So she's had many, many years of experience playing this repertoire and plays it in the most authentic and beautiful fashion. Her father and her grandfather before him were both very famous Arhu virtuosos, and she learned to play Arhu from her father in Shanghai. Lastly, I should probably tell you just a little bit about the story of the Butterfly Lover's Concerto, because the Butterfly Lover's Concerto is based on a very famous ancient Chinese legend. It's a legend of two kids, a boy and a girl, and the girl, being unable to go to school because she's a girl, disguises herself as a boy and goes off to a different village where she becomes a student and befriends one of her classmates, and they become sort of soulmates. And after a certain point, she's called back by her family to her village where she's being forced to marry a local merchant. She returns to the village, reassumes her true 
role as a woman and uh, proceeds to marry this man or is about to marry this man she doesn't love when her old friend, missing her terribly, comes to visit and discovers, lo and behold, that she's in fact a woman and that his warm feelings for her have been more than brotherly love. They've been passionate, romantic love. And they realize how much they love each other but are unable to marry because she's betrothed to someone else. So he dies of a broken heart and subsequently on her way to her wedding uh, festivities, she passes his tomb and she jumps into it and emerging from the tomb are these two butterflies. And so the piece is in essence, dare I say, a, almost like an opera, an opera without words for Urhu and orchestra telling this very beautiful story of the butterfly lovers. In the work, the Urhu takes on the role of the girl and the principal cellist, played by our, the Albany Symphony's wonderful principal cellist, Susan Libby, takes on the role of the boy. And so now, here is the Albany Symphony with guest artist, Erhu soloist, Xiang Beijing, or Betty Zhang, playing the Butterfly Lovers Concerto. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. In my estimation, there aren't too many works that could follow that Butterfly Lovers Concerto. It's so sumptuous and overpowering. But if there's one work that can dare to take the stage after something as affecting as that, it's another of the most autobiographical, impossible love pieces in all of music history, Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique. Now, this work is overwhelming in so many ways. It, in essence, single-handedly ushered in the age of Romanticism. When Berlioz wrote the work in 1830 at the age of 27, he utilized the orchestra in a way that no composer had dared to do so before. He wrote a piece that has such unbelievable orchestral color and that employs so many instruments, four bassoons, two tubas, gigantic chimes, anywhere from two to six harps, depending on how many harps the orchestra can muster up. It's an astounding orchestral tour de force, but it's also a deeply personal utterance on the part of Berlioz. Berlioz, as you may remember, was a lovesick young man. He'd gone to see a performance of Hamlet in Paris. He was a huge Shakespearean fan, even though he didn't really speak any English at the time. And he uh, fell madly in love with the young woman who played Ophelia, a young Irish actress named Harriet Smithson, whom he'd never met and whom he had no way of really getting to know. And so he decided in typical 19th century romantic fashion that the way he would get her attention would be to write a gigantic autobiographical symphony about his suffering because of his deep love for this woman he didn't know, and it would get her attention, and she would come to love him, and they would live happily ever after. Well, surprisingly, the the plan worked remarkably well in that he wrote this monumental symphony, and after a few runs of it, it did finally get her attention, and they did fall in love and have, have a courtship and fall in love and get married. However, they didn't, unfortunately, live happily ever after. In fact, they parted after many years of rancorous and difficult marriage, and she died fairly destitute and not entirely psychologically with it, and uh, it ended not quite as he had imagined it would. But the work remains as one of the towering works of the Romantic period. Five movements long, it really tells the story of a young artist's love, uh, beginning with the first movement, a sort of opening dreams, passions, before the beloved comes to the composer's attention. And then the body of the first movement is taken up with this amazing theme, this this concept of the idée fixe, or the fixed idea, this theme that represents the beloved. Uh, in essence, I think this is the first use in Western symphonic music of an idée fixe, so this idea is actually the musical representation 
of the beloved of this Miss Smithson in, in Berlioz's life. And this theme of the beloved will permeate the work and will appear at all the crucial times, no matter where the artist goes, the composer, the creator goes, to try to forget this young woman, this idea, this musical theme haunts him wherever he goes. So in the second movement, he goes off to a grand ball, and in the midst of the ball, in waltzes the theme of the beloved. In the third movement, he goes off to the country to try to get some peace, but even there, you you hear first the sounds of the English horn and the oboe, the, the different shepherds calling to each other in these beautiful pastoral passages that are so gorgeous. And yet in the middle of that also, we hear the sound of the beloved, whose idea he cannot seem to forget. And then at the end, there's this incredible orchestral innovation, dare I say, in which uh, four drummers, four timpanists, are all each asked to play a different drum. Entirely revolutionary idea in 1830. And they create the sound of, of a thunderstorm at the end. The fourth movement, according to the story, he takes drugs, uh, opium, and has these these kind of nightmarish visions and and, uh, psychotic hallucinations. He dreams that he's being marched to the scaffold. This is the famous movement of the march to the scaffold. And just before his head is about to be severed by the guillotine, he hears the first half of the theme, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, thwack, and the head rolls. Very graphic music. And finally, uh, in the last movement, the fifth movement, uh, he dreams that he is participating in a witch's Sabbath, uh, atop a mountain, and all the witches and warlocks and demons and such are coming to meet. And sure enough, there on her broom comes the beloved, uh, the same theme, but now in the garb of a very garish, E-flat, very high member of the clarinet family. She's been turned into a witch or a cheap prostitute or something like that. And the whole last movement is an amazing kind of uh, witches' celebration, combining all this witchy music with the Dies Iri, the prayer for the dead from the Latin Mass. So again, sacred and profane, living side by side, meshing together to create this unbelievable sense of theater. So here now, the Albany Symphony, in this orchestral tour de force, Hector Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique, the orchestra is conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music.